91.3 KBCS, Music and Ideas. Meet KBCS International Examiner and a Pace Student Fellow, Taylor Marie McCoro. So um, I'm currently a student at Western Washington University and I'm studying music education. My goal is to be a high school band director. Uh, I know that my band director has had a large influence on my life and I want to be an inspiration like he was for me for other students because especially in the high school band field there aren't enough female people of color who are teaching. Alongside with my studies for music I am very interested in Filipino American history and um, very involved in the culture surrounding the women of Filipino history. I'm actually doing a internship with UC Davis's Wusan Center of Filipino Studies. I'm working on the Filipino American Women Project, which is a podcast. Tell me about a Filipino American woman in history or, or who is working now, who is particularly inspiring to you and why? Someone who I really look up to in Filipino culture is Atila Nishrobo. She advocates for the decolonization of Filipino culture, which essentially, since the Philippines was conquered by places like Spain and very influenced by Catholicism and other Western cultures, the Philippines looks like a lot of their inspiration for everything comes from the Western ideals. So like something that I'm passionate about advocating for is the idea of being proud of our of our darker skin because I know growing up I had family members who would tell me that oh, you're too dark and they I would be handed skin lightening soap I remember something that was very like traumatizing me as a kid was when one of my aunts she was giving me a bath and she was scrubbing at my skin she was like you're too dark you need to be lighter and that comes with the idea of like the Western ideal that lighter skin is considered beautiful. And I know that's something that's very relevant in other cultures. And so or the idea of dark skin isn't considered beautiful is something that's very important to me, especially when there's a lot of kids who are darker skin and who have hair like that's curly like mine and just, they don't have like the straight hair that's considered very beautiful. It's it's important to show that like not everyone has to look the same. McCorrell interviewed some family and friends about the Asian American vote for her story contribution to KBCS. Here's a mix of some of her interviews with Nico Aria, Joshua Obispo, Janelle Dalit, and Normie Artugi. First question is, are you registered to vote? I am indeed registered to vote. So first question, are you registered to vote? Yes. First question is, are you registered to vote? Absolutely. Are you registered to vote? I think as far as I know, I am. What is your experience talking with family about voting? Me and my sisters were the first generation American-born here in the U.S. And then my parents both uh, immigrated from the Philippines. And the year when Obama was running for president, I was trying to get my parents to vote. But, you know, they're not really into all the politics and stuff because they don't believe their vote counts. What is your experience with talking about family, about voting? To be honest, I don't know if any of the family has voted, <laughs> except for me and my brother. What are your experiences when you were younger, before you were of age to vote, seeing your family 
voting. Do you have any experiences with that? Yes. So my dad has never voted because he was not a natural born citizen. But my mom is a natural born citizen from Blaine, Minnesota. My mother being mixed race and black here in the U.S., she has always made it really clear that it's really important to her that she votes and makes her voice heard in the system because it was originally based on oppressing people of color mm-hmm. and women. And yeah. since my mom is both of those things, she's made it very clear that voting is quintessential. And then next question is, do you feel as your voice matters within our political system? I know I've heard a lot of other sides like saying it, you know, voting does work. Like, mm-hmm. you know, no, that's not the right way of saying it. I've, I've heard people like, oh, it does matter. You should vote. Or I've heard people that's like, eh, it's whatever, you know in a way it feels like it doesn't matter (laughs) Mm -hmm. is is that sad that feels kind of sad asian american pacific islanders we are one of the largest minority groups here in the united states but when it comes to voting we have the lowest voter turnout why do you think that is if we look at it culturally the u.s has made it very clear that asian and pacific island cultures are only worth their food, and anything else that can be fetishized and sold for money, all that we're seeing is that things that we do normally, it's not cool when we do it, but when everybody else gets to take it, make it super cheap and corny and awful, and take away from the actual culture of it, then it's cool. That makes me personally feel really tokenized and only worth like whatever entertainment value I can bring to the rest of the world. And like, if I were to have a voice, it has to be very specific. So when it comes to voting, being treated that way and being treated like we don't matter, we don't vote because we already know that whatever it is that we want is not going to happen. So Asian American Pacific Islander people, we are one of the largest uh, minority groups in the United States. Mm -hmm. But even though that's the case, we have the lowest voter turnout. Yeah. So why do you think that is? Honestly, the reason why I think that, and you know, I'm just gonna speak for like what I see in my parents. Although they're here in America, I still feel like their focus and like their homeland is still the Philippines. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, they watch the news, they know what's what's going on, everything at the Philippines. And then, you know, you ask them questions about what's going on in America, they're not really too focused or keen on the details of what's going on here. They're more focused on what's going on back home. But even though we're the largest minority group in past elections, mm-hmm. we've had the lowest voter turnout. So not a lot of people voted. I, I thought so. <laughs> so why do you think that is? It's like sometimes we just don't think about it, you know? Like voting mm-hmm. is not that important. But I, I think right now, because of everything that's going on, then, you know, like our race is starting to think we should vote. Yeah, for the, ne- the next generation. That was excerpts of interviews about the Asian American vote with KBCS International Examiner and Pace Student Fellow, Taylor Marie Macoro. She interviewed her family and friends, Nico Aria, Joshua Obispo, Janelle Dalit, and Normie Artugi. Special thanks to Jesse Callahan for help with editing that story. To listen to more KBCS local stories, you can visit kbcs.fm or subscribe to KBCS podcasts anywhere you source them. 
meet Sahil Bathija, student fellow in partnership with KBCS International Examiner and Asian Pacific Islander Americans for Civic Engagement, or APACE. What may have influenced you to come to this conclusion of, you know, we have to be engaged? Um, so it actually all started with the issue of, um, in a weird way, teen suicide, because um, Alaska has one of the highest rates of teen suicide, partly because of the darkness and in the winter. And so I joined a club called Source of Strength, which was focused on breaking the social stigma around suicide. And then from there, I gripped onto this idea of inclusivity. And from that, I kind of went on a rampage. Like I became captain of my school's tennis and track and field team and trying to like include as many people as I could. And I also tried to get really involved in my community through volunteering projects and just tried to make as much of a difference as I could as NHS president or the various roles I did with student council or any of the other clubs and sports I was a part of. From the inclusivity base, I realized the importance of having our voices heard because no one really wants to feel left out and no one should be left out. That's a terrible feeling. And being born and raised in Juneau, Alaska, I always loved nature and explored nature, but it wasn't really until I traveled throughout Southeast Alaska with those sports clubs and teams that I kind of fell in love with nature. And then I kind of set my sights towards law and policy because that's how I realized I could make a change in a broader scope. And just focusing on the issue that's really important to me of like global climate change and global warming. In Juneau, Alaska, there's a glacier called the Mendenhall Glacier, which I hike to almost every year. And it's just shocking how much it's changed. It's incredibly noticeable. We actually have markers um, on the trail that show ice limits. So how far back the glacier went to. And it's just so crazy how far it's receded. I don't know the latest figures, but I know it receded about a third of a mile from just, I think in the eight years between 2007 and 2015. And it's just so noticeable. Even I've noticed from what the 19 years of the life. I obviously like haven't hiked it when I was a baby, but being born and raised in Juneau, Alaska, every time I hike it, it feels further away. Next, here's Bethija's story on being an absentee voter. So I got my Alaska absentee ballot in the mail a couple days ago, my first time using one, and I realized I needed to get a stamp on it to mail it. I asked my roommates, who are from Oregon and Washington, and neither required postage to mail theirs. That got me thinking about voter suppression and how a prepaid stamp not being there might hinder voters. I was mostly concerned about young voters who don't have postage on hand, and especially rural voters who might have a long way to travel to get to their nearest postal service. So I looked into it, and to be honest, based on recent news stories and since Alaska is largely a red state and Washington and Oregon largely blue, I was expecting to find that it was mostly Democratic-leaning states that paid for mail-in ballot postage and mostly Republican-leaning states that didn't. And my theory was mostly right, but I was surprised by the results. First off, only 17 states have permanent paid postage ballot policies. In regards to my theory, most, about 70%, tended to vote Democratic when looking at the majority outcomes of the last seven presidential elections. Some of them were even pretty close to swing states. Plus, three more states will have paid postage for the 2020 election, two of which are mostly Democratic and one mostly Republican. 
But then that got me looking into more of those 30 states that put the burden of postage on voters, hoping to find some reason for that. What I found was not as revealing as I thought it might be. I basically found studies indicating that postage-paid envelopes for voters mailing in ballots didn't have a big impact on voter turnout. So I guess postage is not a commonly used means of voter suppression. Furthermore, paying for postage can simply seem like an extra expense for a state. So while that may not be a form of voter suppression, others relating to mail-in ballots certainly do exist in the wider nation. Washington, I must say, has one of the best voter policies by having registered voters automatically receive their ballots. Yet select states, in the time of a global pandemic, do not consider the fear of a virus as a reason to get access to a mailed ballot. Being at the better and more equitable end of voting access, we can use our voice to advocate for better access to voting across the nation. We can do our part to help voters have access to the rights they deserve. While I didn't end up learning about postage as a form of voter suppression, I did quite easily learn about the plethora of other forms of voter suppression that still plague and target specific communities. These include some discriminatory voter ID laws, deceptive practices such as fake ballot boxes we heard about in California, or the relocation or closing of certain polling places. It warms my heart seeing people waiting in lines all day early voting to exercise their right to vote, but they shouldn't have to waste a day of possible work for it. We are making progress, but even after this election, we have to know that it doesn't end here. After this election, we must continue to advocate for fair and equal access to all eligible voters indiscriminately of their socioeconomic status, identity, or race in all our future elections. Our advocacy now can open the door to someone's previously unjustly obstructed right to vote. Let's do our part for the future of American democracy. That was KBCS International Examiner and APACE Student Fellow, Sahil Bathija's election story contribution. If you're interested in listening to more stories by KBCS, you can visit our website at kbcs.fm or subscribe to KBCS podcasts anywhere you source them.